Nickelodeon fans, and welcome to This Week in Nickelodeon History. My name is Captain Eric, and we are covering all of the Nickelodeon shows that either started or ended between the times of January 2nd to January 8th. And before we get into those shows, I just wanted to pull the curtain back a little bit, let you know how things have been going uh, for Captain Eric here. And um, I, I, a lot has been going on in the last few months. Certainly the holiday season is is the roughest time of the year. Uh, and I was not as prepared this year with getting some episodes in the tank and, and running off of those. And uh, usually I'm, I'm a bit more prepared, but this year just kind of a few extra things kind of came out of nowhere, came out of left field. So I had to start recording episodes week to week. And, and as you can see, when that happens, then, you know, other things happen in life and you're late on episodes. And and that's why a, a piece of advice I would always give any podcaster, and it's a piece of advice that I'm constantly trying to uh, learn myself and, uh, and and get better at. And, and there's been pockets of it, but we got to get back on the horse here. But definitely um, get in your podcast episodes, like get yourself a week or two behind um, not in releasing, but in recording, like record extra, record a week or two extra so that if you happen to, to fall back a week or two, you, you have those to fall back on. So, um, yeah, I didn't get to do that, but with, with things kind of slowing down, I'll be able to get back into that mode, which will then kind of clear things up on the, on the extra front, making extra videos, which... So as far as this year is concerned, a project I have talked about uh, since 2000, I've, I've had this idea since 2020, um, and there's been a few roadblocks here and there on getting this project out, but the first episode is, is just going to debut uh, in January 2022, um, and it's going to be reviewing every uh, Nickelodeon series from the Funko Pop releases. Um, so going through, starting with, uh, with Doug, I know it's, it, it says Disney on the packaging, but they're the same characters. So, uh, going through Doug all the way up to, uh, the legend of Korra and if there happens to be any future releases, but going over, I own most of the Nickelodeon pop collection. So it would be, you know, going over the pop, showing off the, the collections kind of in full and different segments. And then, um, you know, my thoughts on, on the future of the series, the, the issue with that other than just, um, time has really just been kind of for me the look of it how do i want this to look it's my official you know review of the the funko series so uh, i i'm gonna just you know i i have the office here i only have a few more months with this current set before i'm going to be rebuilding a new set in my new home um so that's exciting hey there's another thing so that's that's something to also bank in a bunch of episodes so when i'm moving and setting things up i don't have to freak out if i take a, a week or two off um, that, that's including the, this week in Nickelodeon history. Those won't be as, as week to week. There will be times where I have to just record a couple, but they'll always be as more personable, more down to earth, more, uh, just a, a general podcasting tone than, 
that of the square cast which which may be a little bit more um more on point with with spongebob and keeping it on to that conversation i try not to delve too off the conversation with the square cast depending on it who what guest i have on if it's myself hey i, I try to do the best i can but uh, on on this week in nickelodeon history depending on how many shows i can uh i can you know talk around a little bit yeah which by the way if you haven't noticed uh, with with this much of an intro, there's not that many episodes to go over. Nickelodeon, for some reason, does not release many episodes uh, in the beginning of the year. I mean, in January in general, there's not that much, but especially this week, there really wasn't. Um, but but we have some uh, some extras to go through. Uh, one of the shows we are going to go over already mentioned was Doug, which felt very appropriate of talking about the the Funko collection here, and and also appropriate of releasing it in January. There is a Doug anniversary with Nickelodeon here. We'll get to that later. But because of the uh, the amount of shows that we're going over today, uh, at the end of the shows, I'm going to give you my top five. Uh, Doug episodes, Nickelodeon's run of Doug, my top five episodes out of that uh, 52. Or is it 65? No, I think it's 52. I think I'm right. Hold on. Dun, dun, dun. And boom, look at that. I was right originally, 52. I'm not changing my uh, my answer there. So if you are a subscriber of the, the Captain Eric YouTube channel uh, over the next month, Please keep an eye out for the incoming Season 3 in This Week in Nickelodeon History uploads. Um, and once it's caught up, it's just going to release pre at the pretty much the exact same time as the audio podcast. If there are ever delays, then then that's a YouTube issue. The This is, a for now, an audio podcast. And if I can get that audio out first, I, I will. And if YouTube is having some sort of issue with the audio or... Or, it, you know, then that's on them. But uh, always, always hurdles to jump over. But, hey, this ship is just continuing to move forward. Like I said, it, delays or not, if there ever happens to be something in my life that delays this podcast, there, there's never going to be an end either once there's, for the square cast, once there's no more SpongeBob episodes, hey, that's the end of that show. As far as this week in Nickelodeon history, depending on how I evolve things here, uh, this can certainly keep going as a weekly, guaranteed weekly show on a weekly basis. So that that's that's how things are, are going on my end. Um, but as far as this week in Nickelodeon history... Um, I, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Kaput and Zosky, the show created by Louis Trodheim, a show based off of a series of comics. And um, it was a show that premiered on the Nicktoons network. It was one of those like, you know, kind of like you can only see this Nicktoon, quote unquote, on Nicktoons network. And there was a, a nice variety of shows when that channel launched of of different animation from around the world and uh Kaput and Zosky was a uh, was a was a fun show to watch it it only ran for two seasons of 26 episodes uh it just it, it stopped airing i think on Nicktoons network around this month on i think it was January 17th uh, if i'm not mistaken let me just double check on that January 1st 2007 so yeah right on January 1st was the final final air date of of Kaput and Zosky on the Nicktoons network, so I just wanted to give them a, a big shout out there. Um, anyway, we are starting this week, uh, ten years ago. Uh, no, not ten. Eleven years ago. 
I got to get now. My math is all off. This is the first one of 2022. Uh, 11 years ago, on January 1st, 2011, House of Anubis premiered on Nickelodeon. The show was created by Hans Borlin and Gert Verholst. It ran for three seasons of 190 episodes plus a 90-minute TV special. Uh, I was not a watcher of House of Anubis, did not have Nickelodeon Live at this time. And, and honestly, even if I had Nickelodeon Live, it's it's not a show that I would probably watch live. If it was something that people said was really good, hey, maybe in streaming I would check it out. But here's the big but here. The, the, the show itself, its content, and the way it presented itself um, – in advertisements was absolutely great if i was a kid this is the kind of show i would check out i i liked shows with a little bit of mystery with not afraid to to hide away from like you know darker content and whatnot and i'm not sure how dark the show got but uh it built itself on on mystery a house of mysteries the house of anubis and hey, it got three seasons out of it, 190 episodes. Like, think about that. That's a lot of content of the House of Anubis, plus their their 90 minute TV special. I'm not sure if that was the was that the series finale. It was like the the TV uh, TV movie. Let's see a special episode of House of Anubis called uh, Touchstone of Ra on June 17th, 2013, in the United States. That was the conclusion of the series, the, the touchstone of Ra. Uh, let me know if you are a fan of house of Anubis. If th this is a show worth checking out, I am interested to know. Um, I, it certainly seems like there is something there. And if it at least is, um, if it's not like kid level mystery, if, if there's at least something where as an adult, I could enjoy it as a mystery lover. Let me know if it's something I should I should check out. Fifteen years ago, on January 7th, 2007, we had the premiere of Just Jordan on uh, on Teen Nick's lineup there on Nickelodeon, created by Allison Taylor. The show ran for two seasons of 29 episodes. Sixteen years ago, on January 6th, 2006, we had the premiere of Drake and Josh Go Hollywood, the first TV movie for Drake and Josh. Uh, this is a decent TV movie. It's it's certainly, if you're a fan of Drake and Josh, it's going to be a fun watch. If you're not a fan, I still think there's a, a couple jokes, a couple things in this special that are, are at least humorous enough. The plot of the movie kicks in when Drake and Josh accidentally send their sister Megan on a flight to Los Angeles, California, instead of her intended flight to Denver, Colorado. Uh, I, I completely forgot how exactly that happens, but I, I feel like with today's airports and even the airports of 2006, the chances of you getting on the wrong flight unless you swap tickets with someone and we're just completely oblivious to the change but either way, Megan is flown all the way out to uh, L.A., which prompts Drake and Josh to follow suit. Their parents are are not around during this situation. Drake and Josh were put in charge of, of Megan and making sure she was she was flying out, I think, to see a friend in uh, Colorado. Once the two find themselves in L.A., uh, Josh finds himself in the bathroom alongside a producer with the show TRL 
Total Request Live. If that doesn't sound familiar to you, it's it's okay. It's really a, a show that can only really thrive before the internet. Total Request Live was a show that ran on MTV, I believe on a daily basis, and was essentially a live show that was taped right in New York. You'd have the windows behind Carson Daly, the host of the show, and you would see Times Square pretty much right behind them. I think they filmed it right at the Viacom building. And uh, they would just air the the top music videos of of that time. And that, you know, that's, I mean, pretty much the point of MTV was airing music videos. If you're, if you made a music video, you were making it for the intent of it airing on MTV. Uh, and then eventually when they were creating original content to continue viewership on the show, Total Request Live became a very, very popular aspect of their, their programming. Um, it's, it's was a cornerstone of their programming for a, a long period of time. It made Carson Daly a household name. And, um, you know, in 2000, even in 2006 for Drake to be able to play live on TRL would be a big deal. Uh, cause it was, you know, really still before the, the massive internet boom. Uh, I, I mean, you know, it was still on the decline. Let's not, let's, let's be real here. TRL, would would only exist for another few years on November sixteenth, two thousand eight was was its final episode. But I I mean still to to go on to to it live to play your music would have been a, a big deal and and certainly I imagine Drake would eventually in character in that universe would be uploading his music to YouTube within you know the next few years probably of this time. But either way. Uh, uh, Josh books this deal for Drake to go on TRL uh, without Drake knowing he's, you know, he's Drake's producer, but Drake's really ecstatic about this. Unfortunately, Josh realizes that his uh, his MP3 player, his Go player was swapped with the Go player of a guy he sat next to on the plane named Deegan. Uh, this guy is a criminal and on his MP3 player, he has a bunch of blueprints that are incredibly important to their evil scheme and of course they are now tracking down drake and josh throughout la him and his cohorts while drake and josh are uh, you know trying to escape from them while also making it to trl while also trying to find their sister it, it's a great movie certainly certainly watchable if you are not you know if you're not a fan of drake and josh okay don't watch it but if you have never just watched drake and josh you can certainly watch this movie without having to watch the show and still find enjoyment in it. The uh, the TV movie, by the way, was directed by Steve Hoffer and was also viewed by 5.4 million viewers that week. 28 years ago, on January 2nd, 1994, Doug finished its run on Nickelodeon, created by Jim Jenkins. The show ran uh, a in its full span, Doug ran for seven seasons of 117 episodes, but for its Nickelodeon run, it ran for four seasons of 52 episodes. Now, what what's going on? What does this mean? There are probably those of you out there who, A, have never heard of Doug, which is maybe why you're listening and, and getting some Doug information, but then well, what do you mean? It, it's Nickelodeon run. It ran somewhere else that happened to a Nicktoon. You're yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Doug, one of the very first Nicktoons to exist. Uh, one of the, the first three to air on August 11th, 1991. Uh, Doug was a staple alongside Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy in building the Nicktoons brand. 
and yes, would eventually leave Nickelodeon and find its way over to Disney. Now, these days, the joke of Disney buying everything is is as rampant as, as Disney's purchases. But uh, back then in the 90s, this was like, I, I at least in my world, this was a big deal. I had never come across something that was owned by one company and then was suddenly owned by another and was completely done differently. And I, I just never had experienced this. Doug was was it was a really weird experience for me because I loved Doug, but man, I didn't love the Disney version of Doug. I there just there was just so many things off about it. Um, just to give you a, a one piece of information, um, when when I first got uh, Hulu available with my phone plan, they were just like, "Hey, you have this streaming service for free," and and all right, hey, that's cool. Uh, they had the entire run of of Doug on there. They had the Nickelodeon version of Doug. And I watched through, I binged, this was like uh, three years ago, I, I binged through the original Nickelodeon run of Doug just to see, you know what, how well does this hold up? Because in my mind, I have these moments, and then, yeah, there's these few episodes that I watch all the time, or, you know, like Doug's Halloween uh, episode. I watch that every year during Halloween. But how well does it hold up? Rewatched the entire show, and it held up. Like, I, I still loved it as much as I did as a kid. But then I, I said, with this energy, and I've done this a few times before, everyone, I am a very positive and optimistic person. Um... I've, I have done this with like the Banjo-Kazooie series. I played through one and two in the last three years, 100% again. And then, oh, there's that next part. And there's like this, you know, I just got to go in with positive vibes. I have this energy of beating the series. So I went on to Banjo-Kazooie, Nuts and Bolts, just like I did. The same energy with Disney's Doug. Super positive. Let's let's see, you know, let me watch this with the same mindset of the original back-to-back. And I, both times, both examples, I just fluttered out after a certain amount of time. I could not finish the Disney run of Doug. I, I There was some highlights in the first few episodes, but the writing was off and the changes in some ways were just too drastic. And uh, you know what? We can sit here and talk about the Disney version of Doug, but the beauty of this is this is this week in Nickelodeon history. We don't have to talk about the Disney version. We could talk about the Nickelodeon version, which is just a a beautiful piece of animation and so wholesome. But when where people have seen its wholesomeness as a fault... I, I disagree. I, I really see the show taking its moments very seriously. Um, it, it is, in a way, wholesome like Peanuts, but would dive into certain issues that, that Peanuts wouldn't, and, and certainly had a, a very optimistic but realistic attitude about the world. There were certain characters in Doug's life that were were bad people but would get rewarded and wouldn't really get their comeuppance i i mean sometimes you would see it and and you know haha you know it's kind of like the mr burns thing like how many times has mr burns gotten his comeuppance but does he really because then by the next episode he's he's just mr burns but um i don't know doug doug just took there 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 was certainly when you line up the first three nicktoons from ren and stimpy to Rugrats, to Doug, there, there is 
uh, a wholesomeness scale and certainly a scale of family friendly, Doug being the most family friendly. But I I like the way it tackled certain issues that I'm sure were were current talking points at the time, like high video game usage uh, being an issue. And then, you know, the over excessive uh, of. Uh, the obsession of money or even the, the one episode of this show that dealt with the, the mailing scams, the, the constant, like, all right, fill this in and send us $5 and you, you could win 10,000. And then you're constantly on the hook of sending in a dollar or two, constantly sending in more and more money and Doug getting deeper and deeper into this. Like, Hey, that's not something I would ever really expect to see on, on, uh, on Rugrats or Ren and Stimpy, or even Peanuts. That, I don't know, that's just kind of a, a situation you can only find in these slice-of-life cartoons like Doug, like Hey Arnold, the ones that do have a, a sense of realism in their worlds, but also, you know, there there has to be that character, that optimistic character, that Doug, that Arnold, and Doug is absolutely perfect. Uh, the show, I, I feel like, still holds up, even though it's only been three years. I feel like if I binged it right now, I would still laugh at the same jokes. Um, and, and here's the thing. Not everything is the same. My opinions have evolved bit by bit over time. It's not like I watched those episodes and, uh, and had the same opinions as I did as a kid. There were certain episodes I liked more as an adult than I did as a kid. And then certain episodes that I knew I loved as a kid, but I was like, eh. I'll, I'll kind of skip this one. I have other ones I like now. Um, I'll give my top five uh, Doug episodes at the end of the rest of the Nickelodeon lineup. But um, what's there to say? Billy West is both Doug and Roger Klotz. Uh, absolutely iconic. And, and Fred Newman. My goodness. Fred Newman as Skeeter Valentine is one of my favorite cartoon characters uh, that I can think of. And Fred Newman is one of my favorite voice actors, not just a voice actor, but just a, a, a black hole of every single sound you could possibly imagine. I, he is a sound effect and musical machine with his voice. It is so powerful. I actually, if you've ever heard the music of Doug, it is one of a kind. And there's a reason for that. A lot of those, those musical bits in the in the show are done with the voice of Fred Newman and his his the things he can do with his voice and, and mouth and the sounds he could create. I watch the live performance of the Doug music. You know what? I I love it so much. I'm gonna throw that into the description of this podcast. Go and watch it. Uh, Fred Newman is is a one of a kind uh, human being. Um, and not only Skeeter Valentine. Not only did he voice one of my favorite cartoon characters, he voices one of my favorite cartoon neighbors out of that archetype. The 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 neighbor that it just ends up being a side character of the show. Almost every cartoon has one. Almost every live action like sitcom has one. Mr. Dink, Mr. Bud Dink, also voiced by Fred Newman. Uh, I I could honestly make a podcast about Doug. And if I, I obviously continue the kind of trend I do with the square cast with other Nicktoons, uh, Doug would be one of those shows I would love to dive down and and then honestly would be tied to do the Disney version as well. Uh, but if you've never watched Doug, certainly I implore you, even the first episode of the show, I, which is not in my top five, so I don't mind talking about it right now. Um, but the first epi- episode, Doug Can't Dance is is super endearing to some of these characters. 
um, the, how innocent Doug is, how how Patty is, his friendship with Skeeter, and just the fact that uh, like Skeeter's first interaction with Doug, I absolutely love when he first meets him and, and teaches him how to dance. It's it's where I fell in love with the character myself. So uh, watch that episode. It, it should show you what you're in for for the rest of the show, other than um, I think that first episode is a bit choppier, like more of a Dr. Katz like animation compared to the rest of the show. It, it, it certainly cleans its lines up uh, as the show uh, almost really instantly continues. But uh, Doug is is can even if it's it's not dated whatsoever, um, even in certain aspects, there are a lot of episodes do not really deal with technology and just deal with common human issues. So uh, it is certainly worth a watch. Uh, g- give it a go if you if you ever have a, some extra time. Give give a watch to Doug, uh, but he's certainly as old as that is. We're not ending with Doug, because thirty years ago, on January fourth, nineteen ninety two, we had the premiere of Nick Arcade, also known as Nickelodeon Arcade, hosted by Phil Moore. Nick Arcade was Nickelodeon's game show that included the video game hook so that kids who enjoyed video games would also have a reason to watch Nickelodeon. And and I got to say, as a fan of video games, this worked. I, I absolutely was enthralled by this show. The show had multiple elements to it and involved itself with different kinds of video games from its own custom video games that you can only find on Nick Arcade to showcasing a few known to, you know, really well-known video games in its uh, video arcade challenge. Uh, the show had two teams of two kids face off a yellow and a red team with the first round. Uh, each round would actually start with a, a face off, which was a custom made Nick Arcade game with the red and yellow teams facing off against each other. Usually something fairly simple, something that would kind of, you know, be done within a quick amount of time uh, that would start off the next, you know, the beginning of the round, which was a a trivia. This is crazy. There's trivia here, but it's uh, trivia where the goal is to move this video game character through different tiles from the his start to the goal space on the board. Now, when a team won the face-off, they were in control of Mikey and then would be able to uh, tell him to move up in four directions, up, down, left, and right. Um, and of course, Mikey would only be able to move one space at a time. Now, for the things that Mikey could run into on the various spaces before he reaches the goal, the first one is the four Ps. Uh, You could get points, puzzles, pop quizzes, and prizes that are picked up off of the board. Points would be automatically rewarded with either 25 in the first round or 50 in the second round being rewarded to the team. Uh, The video puzzle would be a, a a puzzle that the team would get to solve. And if they solve it right, once again, 25 points, 50 in round two. Um, and then what they would also gain, regain control of Mikey at the end of that. If you also got the points, you kept control of Mikey regardless. Uh, the pop quiz could pop up, which then would ask a question related to the area that Mikey was on. And there was a wide variety of different areas. You had a pirate themed one called Pirate's Cove. You had Slurpy Gulch, Volcano Jungle, Creepyville, Mikey's Neighborhood, which was was honestly my favorite one because it just, you know, like it fit him the most. 
um, the time portal. Uh, th that was always an exciting part was just to see where Mikey would get thrown into. But yeah, I liked Mikey's neighborhood. Uh, so you'd get a pop quiz as well on top of this if you answered correctly. Hey, 25 points, 50 in round two. And then the prize would uh, would be the team that moved Mikey would win a prize and then they would get to keep control of Mikey. On top of those four possible places that Mikey could land on, there could also be the video challenge in which uh, one of the, you know, the team would get to move over to the video challenge area with one contestant getting to play one of five various video games and the other one using a uh, like an etch like a magnetic like etch a sketch style board they would write down a uh, point value that they were going to bet on their on their their teammate now the teammate you didn't really get to know what you were going to do until after you picked your video game so when you went over there was a choice of five various video games that could be in the uh, video challenge some of these games were were from various video game systems from the nes to the super nintendo the sega genesis the turbo graphics 16 to the neo geo now i will tell you i saw a few times sonic the hedgehog and sonic the hedgehog 2 being used on nick arcade those were my absolute favorites to be chosen and and let me tell you uh i as as much as i have uh, bragged on this show on my uh, current prowess at certain nickelodeon game shows like legends of the hidden temple and double dare i will tell you that even at at six or seven years old i was ready for the sonic the hedgehog challenges on nick arcade because they were it wasn't just like beat the first level it was just like you know collect 25 rings or defeat 10 enemies or something within you know a set amount of time um, the team could wager anything from zero all the way to their, their current score, kind of like what you can do in Jeopardy. You can wager as much of, as you have, uh, uh, Mikey could also land on an enemy space. Uh, then usually you'd get like an animation of Mikey in, in some sort of danger. Um, examples like in Mikey's neighborhood, you get the bully game over who would, who would come up and, and beat up Mikey. But another space that the team could land on would be the time bomb. Uh, the team controlling Mikey at this time would have 10 seconds to spell a word alternating uh, back and forth with each letter. Um, and it would just, you know, like Pong, just go back and forth. So hopefully, you know, if, if your teammate was good with spelling, this would be a simple, simple spot for you to land on. And then, of course, there was the goal. Now, the goal worked in two ways. If the team that moved Mikey moved him to the goal, they alone were asked a question based on a category their opponents chose from a list of four categories. A correct answer earned 50 points in round one, 100 in round two. And the goal for that round, if they answered incorrectly, the opponents got half the points available and the goal by default. If time ran out before Mikey reaches the goal, a sudden death pop quiz question was asked for 50 points, 100 in round two. At the end of round two, the team with the most points would enter the video zone, the third and final aspect of this show. Uh, the, the whole like kit and caboodle, the whole part you're, you're building up towards, this is the hidden temple part of the of like the legends of the hidden temple of nick arcade the video zone was now pretty much think about this it's just a green screen atmosphere for the um 
for the you know one of the contestants or i think both go in and and have like their different lives but it's a green screen environment for them to climb up and jump on but for us the viewers it looks like they have been inserted into a roughly like 16 bit looking video game uh, so the things that they're jumping over are enemy attacks or projectiles. And when they're climbing up something, it looks like they're actually climbing in the video game. Uh, it, it's you know meant to be this big deal that you're getting inserted into a video game. Um, they had 60 seconds to clear three levels of various video games and defeat various game wizards that were in the, the intro of Nick Arcade, like this whole, like, who's going to defeat, you know, one of the game wizards and, and won the grand prize, which ultimately was usually a vacation for the contestants to go on with their families. Uh, the funniest ones were when the vacations were, were, were to Orlando, which... It's like most likely they were probably on a vacation in Orlando to record these things, but then they'd get a vacation to Orlando. All right, extend it out another two weeks, honey. But yeah, Nick, Nick Arcade was was a, a prime example of good video game entertainment on television. Uh, a lot of television channels didn't really know how to handle video games and like they like we we want to advertise to these kids and we, we don't really know what their deal is like. It, it's very simple. Just put up video games. Ultimately, I mean, look what dominates a lot of our our viewing is people playing video games. We just like watching people play. We like seeing the video games themselves. And that's why something like Nick Arcade was so exciting, because even if it was for a, a minute or two or even 30 seconds, just to watch somebody play Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on, on the TV was just mind blowing as a kid. Um, just, you know, just as much as it is to watch somebody, uh, like Markiplier or, or somebody play Five Nights at Freddy's on YouTube for like, there's a kid out there who's just sitting there on their iPad blown away by that. And I, I don't know, it's the same feeling I probably had watching Nick Arcade. Probably not, but hey, you get the drift, but we're not ending there. We're even going earlier than that because both 39 and 38 years ago on January 8th, 1983 and 1984, we saw the premiere and finale of The Third Eye on Nickelodeon. The Third Eye was an anthology series on Nickelodeon that consisted of several English-language science fiction serials from the UK and New Zealand, uh, all, of it, all of which were being aired, for, I'm guessing, for the first time in the United States, but it was definitely airing for the first time in Nickelodeon. You had five different short-form shows within this anthology. The first one being The Haunting of Cassie Palmer, which first uh, ran in the UK in 1982, ran for six episodes, was created by Alfred Shaughnessy uh, from the novel by Vivian Alcock. That was the, uh, the first serial. The second one was Under the Mountain, ran for eight episodes back in 1982, all the way in New Zealand, and was uh, directed by Chris Bailey. The third of these was called Children of the Stones, ran for seven episodes uh, back in 1977, all the way back in the UK, and was created by Jeremy Burnham and Trevor Ray. The fourth of this uh, anthology was Into the Labyrinth, which ran for three seasons of 21 episodes, Back in 1981 to 1982, all the way from the UK, the, the show was directed by Peter Graham Scott. And the fourth, or the fifth and final 
of these series was The Witches and the Grinagog, a show that was created by Roy Russell and ran for six episodes, originally all the way back in 1983 from UK. So these five different short series were put together throughout the the year as the third eye, a, you know, a look into another universe, a look into another world. And this was just, hey, fresh fresh content for Nickelodeon to air on, on, on television. And if you were a kid in the 80s on Nickelodeon, uh, there, there would certainly be something interesting, I imagine, about watching some these like little short mystery shows that were foreign and, and they're, you know, Hey, let's, let's see what this show is about. It might seem a little bit more interesting at that point. Um, at, at least when you're just have, you know, X amount of channels and there's not really that much to watch when you get something that just feels different. I don't know that that could be exciting. So I don't know how many of you out there were, were, um, were there live when this show was airing on Nickelodeon, um, or if any of these mini uh, shows out there have have fans of them, if there any of them are worth checking out, certainly let me know. I would I would really appreciate that. Uh, but now it is time for my top five Doug episodes. Uh, these are uh, I, I guess I can I can put them in a particular order. Um, the the first episode number five, Doug in Vogue, an episode that deals with a a teen drama on television that everyone is obsessed with, with one of the lead characters uh, dressing like, like Doug dresses and everybody becoming obsessed with it and forgetting that, uh, that Doug dressed like that. Uh, it's just a, like a silly fun episode. And it, it's certainly a nice little time capsule to the, the Dawson's Creek days of the nineties. Uh, but number four, Doug's cartoon, uh, an episode that deals with censorship and and where you should draw the line and and what you should do in those kinds of situations. Uh, uh, certainly, an episode that for me stands out uh, of the entire show for that aspect. I mean, you don't really have many many kids shows dealing with censorship, let alone cartoons. Uh, but yet, number uh, three on this list, Doug's Nightmare on Jumbo Street. Doug sees a scary movie in theaters and is unable to see the monster at the end of this movie, which haunts him literally for days while everyone else brags about how scary the monster was and Doug unable to even know what it looks like. Like that's what bothers him. Uh, I, it, it just kind of reminds me of certain, you know, times as a kid that I had those kind of like innate fears of just not wanting to see something, but this kind of episode reminds you that sometimes when you really look at something, it's you'll see its flaws and ultimately you'll notice that it's okay. There's nothing to be scared about it. Number two, Doug's secret song in which Doug records uh, a song that he wrote about his love of Patty and uh, records it in, in a, I don't know if these things would still exist, but back in the 90s, at least, they had these places and malls that you could go to that they would basically be like little karaoke studios, like you'd have the little photo booths, but you could go in and like record yourself basically doing karaoke. They would have like a green screen behind you and then they'd have like a professional music video for you to take. I, I at least remember seeing not a place exactly like the one shown in the show, but I remember seeing a place like this at some point in my life uh, as a kid. Uh, but yeah, so Doug records, has an awful recording of his song. Uh, and at the same time that a few other characters 
are recording their music videos at this uh, at this place. A bunch of tapes get messed up, and and if you see the situations that these characters find themselves in, it is just a fun episode from beginning to end. And and Doug's song for Patty honestly is one that has stayed as a as a um, earworm in my head for for a couple decades. So yeah, if you if you know, you know. Uh, but my number one favorite Doug episode, my number one for you to watch, Doug's Halloween Adventure, an absolute classic, an absolute Doug classic, an absolute Halloween classic. Um, it, from, I've talked about this episode many times on this show. Anytime I can talk about it, it's 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 one of those Halloween episodes that I want everybody to add into their rotation because it's it's just that good. It has an aspect, shows off the aspect of trick-or-treating, which I, I don't like when some Halloween episodes don't take advantage of that to, to show that off and to you know show off other characters and their costumes. And, and they do that to, to a bit in this episode. But then getting to see the theatrical amusement park aspect of Halloween, which is one I love. I love when, when Disney does it. I love when Universal does it. I love haunts in general. I've been a part of them for a couple years. Um, so getting to see like a haunt in a cartoon that is of the level of this one is pretty incredible. And and then just to see the aspect that the story it decides to tell is just really fun. It's, it's one of my favorite Halloween episodes of any cartoon. Uh, and it's one I gladly watch literally any time throughout the year, but especially during the Halloween season. But those are my top five Doug episodes, Captain Eric's top five officially, unless I forget and, uh, and re top five it in a couple years but anyway that is this week in nickelodeon history we have went above and beyond the time see how much i can stretch out uh, a few shows ladies and gentlemen this is this is what i'm here for but uh if you enjoy any of the content i create if you can like or share or even just subscribe to the youtube channel any of that is always appreciated if you do nothing but listen to the show hey even that is appreciated i love all of you thank you for being a part of my week thank you for listening uh please stay safe out there get vaccinated if you can uh keep your loved ones safe it's a crazy time out there all we all we can do is just be there for one another uh even during the angry times just at the end of the day always be there for one another care about the the ones in your life um, and uh, I'll see you here next week. So thank you all for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. On the Lord of Hibbert, Nick. On the Lord of Hibbert, Nick, Nick. On the Ricky Tiggy Low, while living number one, Nickelodeon.